Some of um, <clears throat> my family's favorite movies um, come from the, the Pixar series Toy Story. I uh, trust most of you have seen these, but if you haven't, may I recommend you um, finding them on Netflix. I don't know if they're on Netflix or not, but they're at the library, and they're free. Um, pick them up and watch them all tonight, because <laughs> they're amazing. These stories tell the story of Woody, the cowboy, Buzz Lightyear, the spaceman, and a, a band of Andy's toys, and they go on many adventures. And many dilemma, get into many dilemmas, but, but of course their favorite thing to do is to be played with by Andy. That's what they were created for. And so when their loving owner is, is playing with them, they're, they're overjoyed. But then we get to Toy Story 3. And young Andy is now an 18-year-old man, and he's going off to college. And the question becomes, what will we do with Andy's toys? These characters that we've come to know and love over all these movies, what will we do with his toys? Are they, are they going to go into the attic to be played with later, perhaps, or by maybe Andy's children, you know, passing on a legacy? Or will they go into the trash? Andy decides the attic, but Mom accidentally puts them in the trash. And the toys are furious. They don't realize that Andy wanted to spare them. They don't realize it was all a big mistake. They, they, of course, escaped the trash man, but they're not going back to Andy's room. They get put in the giveaway box to be shipped out to greener pastures, sunny side daycare. <laughs> it's a land where children never get old. They never go to college. They always play with their toys, and they're greeted by a giant purple bear. Lotso, right? Short for lots of hugs. And Lotso shows them around this joyous new place, and he shows them into their room. I believe it's the caterpillar room, and they can't wait. Their friends are at recess. They're waiting with bated breath, excited anticipation for them to return from the playground they hear the bell ring, they drop into position, and Buzz looks around, and all of the experienced toys run off to hide. And Buzz looks at the door, and he hears the screaming kids, and the last thing he does, he closes his mask. And the kids come in, they mow over a dinosaur Buzz is slobbered on by a three-year-old. Mr. Potato Head's eyes are stuck up somebody's nose. <laughs> Jesse's hair is used as a paintbrush. And the last thing you see is, is Buzz being used as a hammer on those little pegboards. You know, the, the, you hammered in. Well, Buzz is being hammered on these little pegboards. And he, he gets a glimpse. He gets a glimpse of the butterfly room. And he sees Lotso and all these other toys being played with by the five-year-olds. And they're being used for what they were created to do. Spacemen flying, bears being snuggled with, babies, diapers being changed. And he realizes they've been duped. They gave up. They gave up a loving shepherd in exchange for Lotso. They've been led astray into the toddler room while others enjoyed the bliss of a greener pasture. They exchanged the, the loving shepherding of Andy for the self-preserving dominance of Lotso. They abandoned their good shepherd 
a shepherd who is good even during a difficult season for greener pastures, only to discover that these greener pastures were not the way of life and flourishing, but the way of despair. It has a happy ending. Go read it. I'm going to go watch it. Our gospel reading this morning has a thing or two to say to us about shepherds, does it not? We hear about good shepherds and bad shepherds, just shepherds and unjust shepherds, righteous shepherds and evil shepherds. And when we look closely at John chapter 10, we realize that we are a flock in need of a shepherd, but not just any shepherd, a shepherd who will stop at nothing to lead us into abundant life. I invite you this morning to open up your scriptures with me to John chapter 10, verses 11 to 16. If you, if you have an app on your phone, by all means, pull that up and, and follow along. And the first thing about this text isn't necessarily what it says, but what it assumes. This text is assuming that we all need a shepherd, This discourse throughout chapter 10 of Jesus and the good shepherd is is assuming that we need a shepherd. It it does not say, okay, there's a flock over here with a shepherd and there's a flock over here without one. It does not say, you folks over here need a shepherd, but you folks over here don't. It, It does not assume that some people are their own shepherds. Everyone, everyone is shepherded by something or someone. Now, as gritty, pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps, American independence, we don't always like to hear that. We want to be self-made women, self-made men. It's not something we readily accept. But Scripture is quite clear. We are sheep in need of a shepherd. There's no difference in this passage from other passages of Scriptures. There is a good shepherd, and there's a hired hand, Each one is shepherding the sheep differently. One leads down the path of life. One leads down the path of destruction. But each of us reports to a shepherd. Not necessarily a human shepherd, but a shepherd nonetheless. We take our cues and guidance. We interpret life and interpret the world through many things and through the lens of many people. Consider your parents. You have been shepherded by your parents. Now, you might have adopted their worldview, or you might have rejected it, or you might be somewhere in the middle, but either way, you've been shepherded. You've been shepherded by the culture. We're shepherded by our neighbors, by our politics, by the latest book we've read, the latest movie we've watched. None of us are islands unto ourselves. None of us are fully independent beings. None of us exist with no outside influence on our lives. We are shepherded for good or for bad by those who have come before us, those who lead us, ideas and ideologies. We are shepherded by experiences that might bless us or traumatize us, by arguments that persuade us, by habits that shape our character. We're all sheep. We all need a shepherd. And the question is not whether you will have a shepherd, but whether he will be a good shepherd or false shepherd. In the days of Jesus, Israel was haunted by this legacy of false shepherds. Centuries of evil kings 
legalistic Pharisees, power-hungry Sadducees, all of them leading God's people astray. Jesus says they are like hired hands right there in verses 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. These false shepherds pretended like they had the best interests of God's people at heart. But in reality, they sought only to further their own status, preserve their own power. They were giant purple lotsos leading God's people into the toddler room. They're not true shepherds. They're hired hands. And when adversity comes, they flee the sheep. What is your false shepherd? Who is your false shepherd? What hired hand is promising you a life of abundance that they simply cannot deliver? Consider even the promises of of advertising on TV. If only you could have this car, right, or this house, or these clothes, these things that others have that you need, if you could get them, how great would your life be? How abundant would your life be? Or if you could just have this woman or this man or just look at these images or subscribe to this political ideology, all of these things are promising us, they're promising to lead us, to shepherd us into the good life, a life of abundance. But friends, these are hired hands. They can't deliver. And when that house of cards comes tumbling down, when that wolf comes into the sheepfold, when death itself is knocking at your door, these shepherds will flee. They will leave you. And there will be nothing standing between you and death, nothing standing between you and the judgment of God. There will be nothing between us and the wolf if these are our shepherds. Praise God that he has given us a good shepherd. That we have a shepherd that promises and delivers. Look at verses 14 to 16. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock And one shepherd. Praise God that we have a good shepherd who leads us into a life of flourishing and abundance. Three things to observe about this good shepherd really quickly. The first one is this. There in verse 14. The good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows us. How does the good shepherd know his sheep? Well, he says, I know my own and my own know me. How do I know them? In the same way... That my Father knows me. Jesus knows us in the same way that God knows Jesus. Can you wrap your mind around that? That this intimate, flourishing, divine love between God the Father and Jesus the Son is the same love that Jesus has for his sheep. He knows us like that. In that way. He knows us inside and out. And that means he knows us warts and all. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows you. 
He knows you. Now, that's not necessarily good news, except for this. The good shepherd also loves his sheep. Look there in verse 15. He loves his sheep. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. What does John's gospel say about laying down one's life? Jesus says it later on, a couple chapters later. He says, he says, there's no greater love than this, than one would lay down his life for his friends. A giving up of life, a laying down of life willfully for the sake of others is, is the ultimate form of love. The good shepherd loves his sheep. And when the wolf comes, he does not flee, right? But he stands and he fights and he gives up his life for the sake of his sheep. And Jesus gave up his life for the sake of us. When death and sin are staring us down, Jesus takes it on the chin. He goes to the cross. He, he dies so that we would not have to endure the wrath of God alone. He, he dies so that our sins might be forgiven. He dies so that we might actually die with him and on the third day be raised with him. That one day we will be raised from the dead and live life in abundance with God and with Christ. But that future hope that we have has a very present reality. Can, consider um, what Tim Keller has reflected on with this idea of, of being known and being, being loved. The first thing he says is, you know, sometimes we're loved, right? But we're not fully known. We don't, we don't let people know who we really are. And so they, they love us or they love the facade of us. And that's not true love, and you know what that's like. Oh, but, but the other option, right, is, is that we could be fully known and not loved. And that's a scary thought, that we would open ourselves up and let somebody see us for who we really are, and they would reject us. But what this is saying is the, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, he knows his sheep and he loves them anyway. And so when you feel like you're not known or you're not loved, you realize that the king of all creation, the great shepherd of the sheep, he loves you and he cares for you and he shepherds you. And finally we see that the good shepherd brings in sheep from other flocks there in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. This would have been stunning to a first century Jew. We're God's people. We were ethnically chosen. We're the ones he's going to bless. If other people want to, to, to come in, that's fine. But, but, but it's us. We're the ones. And Jesus is saying, actually, you're not. Some of you are coming, and I'm bringing in others. I'm creating a new flock. It's a stunning thing to hear. But what good news for us that we have been brought into the flock of Christ. And not only that, but that this flock, that God's kingdom is not bound by any racial, ethnic, lingual, or any other boundary you can invent. That God's flock does not consist only of people that look, talk, and think like us. Consider the implications 
there is a Christian, an Arab Christian in Iran that you have never met, that doesn't eat the same food as you do, that doesn't speak the same language as you do. There's an Arab Christian in the Middle East that you've never met, that you have more in common and deeper relationship and deeper solidarity with than your next door golfing buddy that doesn't know Jesus. Now, he needs to know Jesus by all means. He needs to be brought into this flock, God willing. But our solidarity is with the flock of Christ. And our hearts reach out to them and care for them. It is an amazing call that we are considered ambassadors for Christ, that that we would share the love the Good Shepherd has for us, his sheep, and invite others into it, no matter the boundaries we might think are in place. Friends, we have a good shepherd, not merely a hired hand, who knows us, and he loves us, and he welcomes us into his ever-growing flock. I want to leave you with one thought. In Toy Story, Andy's toys were willing to be shepherded by a deceitful bear. I didn't realize it, but they were. They disregarded the owner that they've known and loved and trusted for years. They unwittingly exchanged a good and loving shepherd, one who was good and loving even in hard times, for a hired hand who's tethered to his own success and status. Friends, may we repent of doing the same. We have a good shepherd, and we have a calling to love like the good shepherd loves us. And so for some of you, you need to be left with this one question. All of us, really. Examine your hearts. Do you know, do you know the good shepherd? Some of you, and all of us at some time, are aimless sheep shepherded by hired hands. And you know it. You know it. I don't have to point out things. I can, but I'm not going to. (laughs) You know it. And I want you to hear this morning that there is a shepherd who knows you and who loves you and is calling you into his flock. And you might be sitting here and you're wondering, well, how do I know if he's calling me? I would say if he's asking you that question, if you're asking that question, he's calling you. And he has never said no to any sheep that comes to his gate. Do you know the shepherd? Is he calling you into his flock? And can we be Sheep who go out proclaiming the love of God and the good news of the Good Shepherd. Let us pray.